you're working in. Um, whether you win or whether it seems like you're losing, we praise his holy name. Have you ever watched a television program or maybe a movie and it'll start out with a scene and maybe it's a car chase, a bank robbery or something, and then the next scene it goes 10 days before, you know, and it takes you back and brings you back up to that point in time. It kind of is intriguing. It's a neat way to do it. Well, I want to kind of do that today in the message. About five or six weeks ago, before December, I preached a message on a young man in the Bible. I say a young man. I don't know his age, but his name was Obed-Edom. Unusual name, Obed-Edom. And uh, I thought that was going to be a standalone message. And... Uh, I started looking and I said, man, Lord, there's too much around there for me to not let the folks at Friendship see the whole picture. So you got Obed-Edom and the Ark of the Covenant is at his house and he's being blessed, but a few days before. And that's where we come in to 1 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, we'll turn there. But I want to make one or two statements. God's work must be done God's way. Uh, when we were talking about that song, he's a chain breaker. He won't do it my way. And I, I hate to tell you that, he won't do it your way. He's going to do it his way. And so what, what I want us to see is Yes, there's some things that are good to do, and we need to do them. But we better look at examples in the Bible, commands in the Bible, to find out how we should do it. We just can't go off and decide, okay, this is a good thing to do. I'll do it, and I'll do it my way. Frank Sinatra, when he died, he found out he didn't do it his way. Those of you who don't know who Frank Sinatra is, Google it and and his song too, I did it my way. Listen, no, you better do it God's way. You better understand that God's work should be done in God's way. Let me read this, and it's kind of a shocking story. I, I shared it with you earlier, but I want to read it again. First Samuel 6, and if, you have, if you're one of those people that put in your Bible, Brother Bert Harper on November the something, preached this sermon from this text. It's a different sermon. Don't you? Man, those of us that are preachers, man, they'll wear you out. I, I've, there's this one church that I've preached six revivals at, and I don't always keep up with the sermons I've preached in revivals. It's usually a one-hit deal, you know, and they've had me back six times. And one time out of those six times, I had this lady preached this one a long time ago and I looked at it and said yeah but God showed me so much more <laughs> amen so anyway 1 Samuel chapter 6 again David gathered all the choice men of Israel 30,000 and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim, that's the mercy seat. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was also on the hill. Yuzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. 
And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel, they played music before the Lord of all kinds of instruments, firwood, harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means outburst against Uzzah. Again, this is one of the most troubling pas passages in the Bible. Here was a man wanting to do good, and God killed him when he did it. Does that not alarm you? It alarms me. When I read that and I say, okay, God, I know you're love, I know you're holy, but tell me how this is. Let me give you this principle. God's work must be done God's way. When we don't do that, we're not assured of his blessing, and it may lead to a cursing. Is that, that's pretty stout, isn't it? But we, now, why? Let me give you some more biblical examples, and, and you might want to write these down, check them out, make sure that, uh, that what I'm saying is true. <clears throat> At the beginning of new eras in biblical history, God sometimes manifested his power in judgment to remind the people of one thing. God's people must obey God's word. We can't go off on our own. We can't call the Ten Commandments Ten Suggestions. They are commandments. They were given. The Ten Commandments was given to a, a nation how to rule themselves. Uh, several men that I've heard said you can have either Ten Commandments or 10,000 rules. America's proven that. Man, our law books are so thick, can't even imagine. Let me give you three examples. <clears throat> After the tabernacle was erected, and the priestly ministry inaugurated back in Moses' day, Aaron's son, the appointed priest, had two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And they were struck dead by trying to enter the sanctuary their way. They didn't obey God, and they decided they'd go into the Holy of Holies, and they died like that. I'll give you another example. When Israel entered the land of Canaan and they whipped up on them in Jericho and they came to Ai and God said now everything you get at Ai you leave there as a sacrifice to the Lord but Achan one of, just a regular guy not one of the leaders just a regular guy a member of the church quote he decided he'd do it his way and he took a garment, he took some gold, and he put it in his...
was at Jericho. He was supposed to not do that. But he had done it at Jericho, and now it was time to go up to Ai and fight Ai. And they decided they whipped up on the Jericho people so bad that they could send just a few men up there, and they would take Ai and come home. Well, when they got to Ai, they got defeated. Joshua went before the Lord and says, why? And he said, because there's what? Anybody remember that phrase? There's sin in the camp. One guy. One guy. And a whole slew of men died because of that one guy. Why did they have to die? Because of one guy going wrong and doing wrong. I can't answer all your questions. All I can say, you better do God's things, God's way. Thirdly, New Testament. After Pentecost, Barnabas and some others had given their land and distributed the money among the people there in Jerusalem that were poor so they would have money enough to be trained and learn so that when they went back to to their countries, they would be missional and they could share and carry out the great commission. Y'all remember that? In the early church? There's two people watching this and they liked the praise that Barnabas and others got. So Ananias and Sapphira decided they would sell their property and they would give the money. But after they got the money, greed took over. Nobody told them to give everything But they told the church that they had given everything that they had gotten for the land. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember what happened to them? They both died real quickly. Now, what does those three things have in common? Two things at least. These people did not do what they were supposed to do God's way even though most of the time they were trying to do something good except Achan. Now, Ai was to be fallen, but when they went up the second time after they'd taken care of the sin in the camp, Ai fell. The other thing they have in common was it was the beginning of a kind of a new operation for God. God seems to judge more severely at the beginning of new ministries because he wants it get started straight. If you don't start straight, I'll guarantee you, you will not end up straight. You got that? If you start out off target, <clears throat> you'll never hit your target. And I don't have to go to the enhanced gun to know that. If I don't aim right, That bullet's not going to go right. If I don't start right, and I don't, God doesn't change my direction, I'm not going to end up right. That's the reason it's heaven or hell. That's the reason right now you need to make sure you're right with God because heaven is your home. If it is, hell will be your place of torment for eternity if you do not follow Christ and do it God's way. You can't do it your way. You can't decide, well, I'm going to join the church and be baptized and start tithing. That way I'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
It means come unto him, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and he'll give you rest. You've got to come through Christ. Now, with that in mind, there's two things I want to share. And well, I don't think it'll take long. And I didn't put them on the board, but uh, they're pretty easy to listen to. Number one, two principles I get from this, doing it God's way. David's desire derived disaster. That's D-D-D, D, four Ds. David's desire derived disaster. Now, I want you, or hope you're still in 2 Samuel. Uh, 2 Samuel. I may have said 1 Samuel the first time, but it's 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I want you to look back in chapter 5. Do a little Bible study with me. Good preaching always has good Bible study. Look at chapter 5, verses 17 and 24. Notice some things he did. He was getting ready to fight the Philistines. Now look at verse 19. So David inquired of the Lord. Y'all say that with me. So David inquired of the Lord. What did he do? He spent time in prayer and possibly the Bible and possibly talking to those that knew more of the Bible than he did. Now look down in verse 23 of chapter 5. Therefore David did what? Inquired of the Lord. And both of those times was what? Great victory. Skip down now to the beginning of chapter 6. And David gathered all the choice men of Israel. David arose and went with the people. Where is it where he said he inquired of the Lord? No. He assumed that since God wanted the ark, not at the Benadab's place, but in Jerusalem where the temple would be built, he assumed that he just needed to go get it anyway. Wrong assumption. God still, he wanted it, but he wanted it to be carried from Abinadab to Jerusalem his way, not David's way. The presence of God is, he wanted, it was, his heart was good. David was a man after God's own heart. His heart for this was good. He wanted the Ark of the Covenant at the very center of everything this nation was doing. Amen? We want that. We want it in Pontotoc, the courthouse. We want it in the Capitol building in Jackson. And we want it in the White House and the Capitol in Washington, D.C. We want God to be the very center of everything we're looking at. And we, and I work with an organization and we try to get involved in politics. But sometimes even our ministry I think puts too much heavy on the political side rather than praying and seeking God. And Jonathan, you don't have to tell my bosses I said that. Okay. But it's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of doing it God's way. And it, the God's word says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear our prayers and he'll bring his blessings on us. Amen. The continuous presence of God in David's life, he knew. And he wanted it for Israel. That was his desire. You see, it says where the cherubim dwell in verse 2, that's the mercy seat. And in Exodus 25, verse 22, 
here's what God said to Moses. At the mercy seat, there I'll meet with you and I'll commune with you. God wanted these people, the nation, to commune with God the way he communed with God most of the time. Most of the time, David inquired of the Lord. But the times he did not, he paid a steep price. Right now, while we're preaching and while you're listening, we got people praying. Probably the most important part of what's going on today is in the prayer room. God really does put a premium on inquiring of the Lord. He determined to rescue the ark that had been gone out of its rightful place for 70 years. It had been captured by the Philistines. I told you that when I preached on Abinadab. They was treating the Ark of the Covenant like a rabbit's foot for good luck. And the Philistines took it, but it brought them bad luck. So they sent it back, back and they got it as far as Abinadab's house. And it stayed there for 70 years. David knew where the Ark was, so he sent after it. And he determined to return to the Ark, a good thing, without prayer, a bad thing. I know you're in 2 Samuel. Real quickly, if you can find it, if you can't, just listen carefully. Turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. If you can't turn there, jot this down. This is amazing. It repeats the story, except it repeats the second part of the story that I'm going to probably preach on in two weeks. David built houses for himself. 1 Chronicles 15.1. David built houses for himself in the city of David. He prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. He didn't say that the first time he tried. Guess what he had done since Uzzah had died? He inquired of the Lord. When are you going to inquire of the Lord? Before someone hurts or after someone is hurt? He did it afterwards. And it says, chose them to carry the ark of God to the minister before forever. Now skip down if you would. The verse 13 of 1 Chronicles 15. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. You need to underline that, highlight that, put an asterisk by it. Listen to it again. For because you did not do it the first time. There it is. If you had inquired of me before you sent after the ark, Yuza would not have died. Yuza died because of a bad decision made by someone else. Amen? I don't mean you're proud of it, but do you understand? That verse 13, because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God brought out against because we did not consult him about the proper order. You see, he had determined to do something good but not God's way had he sought the Lord I think it would have been different and, I want to, and I'm reading this because I don't want to misconstrue this statement David attempted to get God's presence without recognizing God's holiness that's a big mouthful that I just said David attempted to get God's presence but he overlooked 
God's holiness. When we come together, y'all get ready for this. When we come together at Friendship Baptist Church, we better not worship casually and flippantly. Now, when I say casual, I'm not talking about dress. I'm not talking about high church and participation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just come in. Well, here I am. Okay, God. No. When we drive up on this parking lot, you ought to come in with a reverence toward God, knowing that God has a right to turn my life around and tell me what to do. When I come to church and I'm gathered together with God's people, it's not flippant. Well, okay, I will if I want to. Okay, I'm going to hear this sermon by Brother Burke, and if I don't like it, I don't matter. Yes, it does matter. If I'm preaching God's word, it matters. Amen? Not in a casual way. I, I'm, you know, I'm not talking about styles of worship. I have a friend, and I, I may have told you this, Ken Cooper. Ken's one of the dearest friends that I've ever had. He was a missionary over in Germany. And he pastored an English-speaking church. And he had 37 different nationalities, members of his church there in Germany, Munich, Germany, the Germans. A mighty fortress is our God. That was worship for them. They meant it with every fiber of their being. They wanted God to be worshipped and reverenced, and it was good. He had some Africans. God is good all the time. God is good. Both of them are passionate. Both of them are personal. They're not casual and flippant. It's not style. <laughs> I, want, I admit, I wanted to fight against flesh and blood sometimes about some stuff. It's not style. It's not whether you sing hymns or praise songs. I think you're supposed to do both. That's what it says in Colossians and Ephesians. It says bring in praise with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If he only wanted one style, he'd have used one word. He used three different words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sometimes, man, we sing, a mighty fortress is our God. I don't care if you've given yourself over to contemporary or not. That's an awesome song. A mighty fortress is our God. Our kids need to hear that. Amen? They need to know God is big. They also need to know God is good and all the time God is good. Someone that sells himself out to one style or one thing, they are selling themselves short on the glory and the power of God. Amen? Don't come in flippant. Come in purposeful and passionate. I'm coming today to worship a mighty God, and I want him to speak to my heart, and I want him to give me purpose to my life. I hope you've done that. If you haven't, you need to do it right now and say, God, I didn't know worship was that important. I just thought showing up was good. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you showed up. But there's more to it than that. You need to worship God God's way. And that is purposeful and passionate. 
I'm going to finish this story. Do you remember what David did before God when they got the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem? He cut a jig, son. He took off his royal robes and he looked just like a regular peasant out there worshiping before the Ark of the Covenant because he at that time was nothing more. He wasn't king. He was the shepherd boy back in those Judean hills. Amen. Number two. Number one, David's desire derived disaster. Number two, time, tradition, trump truth. Now, what I mean by that, David let 70 years doing it this way trump truth the way God wanted to do it. When they had brought, when the Philistines had brought the Ark of the Covenant out of Philistia into Abinadab's house, how did they do it? On an ox cart. So it had been at Abinadab's house for 70 years on a what? Ox cart. They had done the investigations. So they went down there and said, well, we don't want this old ox cart, so we're going to do what? Make a what? A new ox cart. We're going to keep on doing it the way the pagans did it. How did the pagans do it, Todd? They brought it on an ox cart, right? God says, no, you're not to do that. You're to put it on the poles and you're to put it on the shoulders of the Levites and you're to march and you're to walk in majesty of God. For 70 years, they had done it that way and that trumped truth. That's the reason churches have to be careful. Did you, did you hear about the young bride that was cooking dinner and she had purchased a roast, a big roast for the whole family and she cut the roast in two and put one side in one pot and the other in the other and her husband said I, I've never seen a roast cooked like that why'd you cut it and why'd you put it in two roasts said that's the way mama did it so she couldn't wait he couldn't wait till mama showed up for this dinner and said you know my wife did this why, why did you cut the roast and put it in one pot and the other pot. Well, that's the way my mother did it. Now he is waiting for grandma to get there. When grandma got there, he said, why did you cut the roast and put it in one pot and the other pot? He said, oh, I, she said, I didn't have a big enough pot for one. Sometimes we keep doing the dumb things because of somebody else doing it and not doing what? Consulting God's word. The ox cart had been used by the ark of the of God to be on it for 70 years. So David assumed what? For 70 years, that's the way it's been? That's the way it needs to be done now. I want to give you some principles here, and I want to read them. Just because others are doing it doesn't necessarily mean we should. Parents love that one when they talk to their kids. Number two. Just because others are not doing it doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't do it. Number three, just because this is the way we've always done it doesn't mean that we must continue doing it that way. And number four, just because we have never done it this way before doesn't mean we shouldn't try it. What do you do? The Word of God. God had told them how to do it, and in Chronicles, he said he went back and he found out how to do it and how to do it right. 
David had inquired of the Lord, I don't think Uzzah would have died. The people God thought that since they thought since they were doing a good thing, that God would bless it just because they were doing a good thing. God doesn't have to bless the service at Friendship Baptist Church. He doesn't have to bless this sermon. He doesn't have to bless the offering that comes in. He doesn't have to. But God will bless it when we're doing it for his glory, doing it for him and doing it for his praise, but we also need to do it God's way. When we get to heaven, I don't want to sing, I did it my way. I want to sing, I did it God's way. Friendship Baptist Church, that's the challenge we have. No matter what we're doing, whether we're doing a one on Wednesday night, whether we're doing uh, worship on Sunday morning, no matter if we're having a meeting with the pastor search committee, no matter if the deacons are meeting, the building grounds are meeting, the van ministries meeting, the youth at Haven is meeting, everything we need to do, say, Lord, does this give you glory? Does this give you honor? And I want to do it to praise you, and I want to do it your way. How do you do it? It says, when my people gathered together, it says they prayed, they sang hymns. When they gathered together, they opened the word of God. When they gathered together, they testified about how good God was. Those things are essential when we come to worshiping the Lord. The fact that all the leaders of Israel agreed to use the ark, the cart, didn't make it right. And the fact that just because the ark had been in the home of Abinadab for 70 years and his son Yuza and Ahio were qualified to be the attendants was not true. They were not Levites. Yuza was not supposed to touch it. Let's get back to that, and we're going to close. When we try to do God's commands, God's will, our way, you're probably going to have a disaster happen, a death. You remember when Moses died? It said, his eyes were not dim. His eyesight was good at 120. His nat- I love the King James Version on this. His natural force was not abated. <laughs> that means he was as strong as he was 40 years ago. But what had he done? One time, one time God told him to do what? Strike the rock and let the water come out. Strike the rock what? One time. He had a better idea. He did it what? Two times. You say, man, how how small is that? In your opinion, in my opinion, it may be small. But who is the rock of our salvation? Jesus Christ. How many times did he die on the cross? One time. That rock represented Jesus and he would only die one time and he would rise again and he would give to his people all that they need for God and righteousness and godliness in this present age and a future in heaven. One time. He struck it what? Two times. And he didn't get to go into the Holy Land. When he was 
He was meant to not only bring them out, but his desire was to what? Bring them in. So here's what we do. What are we left with? Let's go over the essentials. If you're going to be saved, it only happens through Jesus Christ. There is no other way except Christ. You can't join the right church. You can't listen to the right preacher. You can't give the right amount of money. You've got to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord as you admit that you're a sinner and can't save yourself. And you surrender your will and your life to God for now and forever. It's not a, okay, I'll do it today and I'll be all right. No, it's today, tomorrow, every day. If you've been saved, you've been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It's called redemption, it's called sanctification, and ultimately it's called glorification when we get to heaven. You want to make sure that when we worship, we're not just coming in casually. I'm going to sit here and see what happens. When you come here to worship, you don't put a do not disturb sign on your face and your heart saying, well, I'm here, God, that's sufficient. No, it's not. It's not sufficient until real worship takes place, which causes you to examine yourself, to make sure you're saved, to make sure when you leave here, you're going out to do the will of God. You really hadn't worshipped. I don't care what songs we sung or what sermons been preached. Until you leave here determined to do the will of God in your life, you really haven't worshipped. You've just had an emotional experience. Make sure you're saved. God doesn't have a plan B. Make sure as best you can, following the will of God, reading the word, listening to sermons, uh, talking to those that you trust that are more mature in the faith, that you're serving the Lord and you're doing it with the right attitude and the right way. Not casual, not flippant, but purposeful. Mediocrity is killing us. Mediocrity. Well, it's not my best, but it's good enough. No. Uzzah died because David did not passionately inquire of the Lord. Your family, fathers, may slip by the wayside because you were too casual in your time with him at home when it came to praying and reading God's word. You were too casual coming to church and when the altar call was given and God was impressing on your heart, man, you need to be at that altar seeking me. And you sit back there with your hands in the pocket and say, oh, not now, not now. Your lack of passion your flippant attitude will cause someone not to be right with God. I want to close with this. I may have told you, but I'm repeating it if I have. For two years, I've been attending a church, a home church, Wheeler Baptist Church. Started when I was 10 and at 12 years old, I got saved. Got saved on a Tuesday night in a revival. But what took place not that Sunday, but the Sunday before, was my dad, who had been out of church all those years. 
whose family had been out of church with him. And he went forward in a church service. He confessed his sin of selfishness, of anger. He turned around and asked, he said, I've asked God to forgive me. And he asked the church, I want y'all to forgive me. For 10 years, I should have been in this church serving the Lord with you, but I was at home. My dad got right. I was a 12-year-old boy sitting back there, ashamed and proud at the same time. It wasn't for years later that I put those two together. You know, connecting the dots. Y'all ever played connect the dots to see what you have? You need to not just do that on paper. You need to do it with your life. Connect those dots. Later on in my life, I was examining when I got saved as a 12-year-old boy, and I started thinking about what all took place before that and what brought me to Christ. And God brought me to my dad, who nine days, ten days before I got saved, he got right with God. I couldn't but help but wonder, had my dad not gotten right with God, would I have gotten right with God? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But I'm glad my dad quit being flippant and casual and got purposeful and passionate in his worship for God. The invitation is for you to do whatever God tells you to do. I don't know what it is. It's kind of one of those sermons, isn't it? Some of you may need to be saved. Some of you may need to move your membership. Some of you need to just come to this altar and pour your heart out to God. Some of you may need to move and go to your wife or your, your husband or, or your children or your parents and say, I've been too casual and flippant in my Christian life. I'm ready to go on with God and do it with purpose and passion. I don't know what God wants to do. All I know, I want to do what God wants to do. Amen? I pray you'll do it. Let's bow our heads as the worship team comes forward. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I, I, this sermon speaks to me because, Father, I've been lack of purpose before. I've been too flippant in my worship before. I've been there. I've done that. I've been that way in serving you sometimes as a parent, as a husband. I haven't been purposeful enough in ministering to, to, to my family like I should. So, Father, I pray that you would saturate our heart with your Holy Spirit today. That those of us that need to confess sin and get it right would. For those that need to be saved, that they would. For those that need to move their membership, they would. That, Father, those of us who are parents or children, that we don't be casual in our service to you, but we be purposeful, we be passionate. Father, this is our desire, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name.